I'm in Matthew chapter 13, and if you'll turn there with me, we're going to look at a parable in Matthew chapter 13. You know, this, this isn't the, the parable of the talents where that statement is made, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's, it's, a, it's, a, different, it's a different parable. But while we're on that subject, can you think back to that parable where the Lord said, well done, to that servant that he gave ten talents and gave five talents and he came back and the servant had ten. And then he said, well done, to the servant that had, he had given two talents and the servant had four talents, right? He said, well done to him. And then that one servant that took his talent and he digged and he hid it, remember? And he brought back that one single muddy talent and he didn't hear the Lord say, well done, did he? Thou wicked and slothful servant. But do you remember what that servant said? That servant said, I was afraid. I knew that you were a hard man. Do you see his image, his picture of our heavenly father? But our heavenly father is a rewarder, right? Of them that diligently seek him. And I think the outlook of the heavenly father is what caused that man that had his five talents, like, man, I am gonna make my, I'm gonna make my Lord so happy. He went out and got to work, brought back five talents, right? I think it was the outlook of the servant that, you know what, I was afraid. I'm afraid of the Lord. You know, I don't think that's the outlook that we should have for our heavenly father. I think that the, our heavenly father wants to bless us. He wants us to be productive. He wants us to be fruitful. And he so wants to look into our eyes and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, this, this parable in Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Notice with me, we're going to spend, I think, pretty much our entire time here in Matthew chapter 13. Start in verse number 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no, no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. I would like to be that productive Christian. Okay, now, there's two things that I like about this parable in Matthew chapter 13. Um, and there's plenty to like about it, but there's two things specifically that I enjoy about this parable. Number one, you will find in just a few verses, Jesus explains his parable. Most parables, Jesus just puts it out there, and there's great liberty given to take and apply that parable, right? Matthew chapter 13, one of his disciples basically says, you know, I don't, I don't get it. You know, why, why do you talk in these parables? My, my money is on Thomas, but you can decide which disciple you think it was. But somebody said, hey, why do you talk in these parables? And so Jesus told them why. And then Jesus goes on to explain the parable that we just read. The second thing I like about this parable is if you can put yourself into one of four categories that Jesus describes here in this parable, you can know your future. And that's interesting to me. That's a cool thought to know my future. My, uh, I used to have uh, my friend Jim, who some of you 
uh, would know Jim Conger and I grew up together here, and um, Jim and I would sit over in the, the Jack Howells Memorial Auditorium, and we would play this game, and we knew what it meant, but I would point to a door, and I said, okay, that door. Now, what that meant was, you know, a little, like, you know, fifth, sixth grade boys, that meant whoever walked in that door next, you have to marry. So whoever that is, that door, that door. And so, you know, sure enough, you know, a pretty girl would walk in, and, he's, and we'd all, we'd laugh, like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, that door, that door, that's yours. So that's my door. So now we got to wait, and we'd go, and we'd talk, and wait, and sure enough, you know, here, like a sailor or somebody would walk in that door, and we'd laugh, you know, because the outlook of knowing your future is, is interesting. And this parable, if you can put yourself in one of these four groups, you can understand your future. We're going to look at this, at Jesus' explanation here in just a moment. Before we do, it describes people that hear the word of God. All four of these groups that Jesus described, okay, these are four types of hearers. Because all four of these groups hear the word of God. But only one of the four groups are fruitful and productive. Only one of them. Now, when I started, we talked about, you know, well, we would like to hear Jesus say, look at us and say, well done. We would like to be a productive Christian. Well, I think Jesus describes in this parable at least three ways not to be a productive Christian. Three things that will keep you from being a productive Christian. Also, before we look at this passage of Scripture, right now we have our children in Transformers. And some of them, if they're junior hires, they're across the street. If they're uh, young children, they're being taught by our teenagers. And I enjoy being a part of that program. I, I remember the very first week of Transformers. This was probably eight years ago now. And this whole concept of having our teenagers, our high schoolers, teach our, our grade schoolers was, was a very unique concept. And we were trying it out and see how it would work. And that first Wednesday night, we had a sec, I was in the second grade department, we had a second grader that was not wanting to sit still, not wanting to behave. And the whole idea behind Transformers is our teenagers do the work. You know, I'm there, I'm the supervisor in second grade, but I don't tell a second grader to do anything. I'll tell a teenager, hey, go tell them to do that. Or hey, go tell him to keep his hands to himself, you know, or go do that. Our teenagers run it. And so that first night, I called a young man who was a sophomore young man at the time. He has since graduated from college. But I remember that specifically this sophomore young man who at times would be a problem for his teachers, okay? And I called that little boy over and I said, hey, this is, and I introduced that little boy who had trouble sitting still to this teenage boy. I said, he's going to sit next to you, okay? You go over there and sit with him. And, you know, I watched the struggle for a couple minutes. And then all of a sudden, that little boy well, he sat up straight, he behaved himself, and I'm watching, thinking, wow, this is, this is amazing. I can't believe that this is the way that this worked out. And when we were finished, and that boy got up to leave, he went back to that teenage boy, that sophomore in high school, and he said, where's my dollar? And I saw that teenage boy take a dollar out of his pocket and pay off that second grader. And I thought, you know what, God is good. There is some justice in there someplace, okay? Now, I got off the subject with that story, but my, my point is right now we have our kids. Some of our children are teenagers, they're teaching. Some of them are junior hires, and Brother Judah is teaching them. 
Some of them are, you know, kindergartners through fifth graders, and our teenagers are working with them. Many of us, we came to church tonight, and one of the reasons we came to church, not only to hear the, the Word of God taught, but we wanted our children to be here and teach the Word of God and hear the Word of God taught. That is important to us. Part of what we're going to look at tonight in the parable of the sower is how can we help our kids to be productive? Boy, as much as I would want my Lord and Savior to look into my eyes and say, well done. My wife and I have six kids, and I so want them to be able to hear their Lord and Savior say, well done to them. And we understand, you know, we're not here tonight. The end in second grade Transformers is not to train second graders. It's to train future husbands and wives and godly moms and dads and deacons and pastors and Christian laymen, right? That is the, that is the end game. So that being said, Jesus talks to us here that hear the word of God on a consistent basis and gives us some training as how we should approach the teaching of the word of God and I believe some help as how we should help our children approach the teaching of the word of God. Listen as Jesus explains the parable of the sower starting in verse number 18. Same chapter, Matthew 13, look at verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Let's continue reading. Verse 20, but he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon with joy or immediately with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed, this is the third group, he receives seed among thorns, is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed unto the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we approach the teaching of your word, please help us to be receptive to what you said here, Help us to work to apply it and make the application um, to our own lives. And Lord, as we think of our kids, I pray that we would work to allow the word of God to take root in their lives so that they may become that tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth their fruit in their season. Lord, we want them to be productive. I pray that uh, through the service, through the preaching of your word, I pray that we would be better moms, better dads. I pray that we would be better listeners to the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. The first group listed here, I call the forgetful hearer. The Bible says there in verse number, verse number 19, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. It's like, it's like he never heard it. Think for just a moment. What would cause a Christian young person to sit in services like this, to come to Transformers, to possibly even sit in a Christian school, to come to Sunday school, 
What would cause somebody to sit in a service like this, an adult, week after week after week, and just not get it, right? Understandeth it not. Can you consider that with me for just a moment? Because that's what Jesus said. They hear the word. All four groups hear the word. This first group, the forgetful hearer, doesn't get it. I think there's a few reasons why that could happen. See if you agree with these. Number one, maybe we're not listening, right? That's a reason, isn't it? Maybe we're not listening. Let me, I I know I'm speaking to the choir here, so let me just congratulate you at being at the midweek service this week. Most of you knew pastor wasn't going to be here. Maybe you thought you were going to hear Brother Dice when you got here, but you have to listen to me instead. But you're here at the midweek service. You got your kids here to Transformers. Hey, congratulations. First of all, in order to hear the word of God taught, you need to be in a place where the word of God is being taught, right? And you are where you're supposed to be. You have your children where they are supposed to be, okay? Now, now that you're here, focus on the teaching of the word of God. You know, oftentimes, I mean, I've, I've been listening to preachers preach in, in our church here since I, we, my family came here when I was three years of age. So since the time I was four years of age, before my feet could touch the ground over in the Jack House Memorial Auditorium, I was sitting over there. And how many times my mind would wonder, okay? I remember an illustration I used before. I remember those little uh, Smarties that we would get, you know, wrapped in those little like sweet tart type Smarties, and, and I would get one of, the, one, of, one of my teachers, Sunday school teachers always gave me one of those. And the old pews in, in the auditorium, if, if you can remember them, they were gold. And if you sat on the end, they had a wood piece of trim that was attached, and so it was like a three-quarter inch piece of wood like next to the cushion. And I used to open my Smarties and line up my Smarties on that piece of wood. Now looking back, how unsanitary is that? <laughs> you know, I mean, you could probably take your finger and just get, you know, a finger full of, of dust possibly from that piece of wood. Anyways, I survived, okay? I would line up my Smarties, and we would sit in a, in a spot where I could look up and I could see the clock in the PA room. And I was smart enough to be able to divide 1210, which is when Brother Hiles said he would finish every Sunday, from whatever time it was, and I would divide those Smarties up so I knew that I had like a Smartie for every four minutes, okay? So I'd eat my Smartie, and then I'd watch the clock, you know, and I'd try to keep that Smartie in my mouth, you know, until the clock struck four minutes, and then it's Smartie time, you know, my next Smartie. What a waste of time. Dr. Jack Hiles, one of the greatest pulpiteers in the history of the world. And you know what? I was concentrating on my Smarties, okay? Some of you, I lost you when I brought up the word Smarties. You're like, oh, man, I wish I had a Smartie right now. You're done for the rest of the service, okay? Hey, we're here. We put forth the effort to be here. Let's give attention to the teaching of the word of God. When it comes to our children, put your children in a position to hear the word. You have. Congratulations. Number two, we need to teach them the word of God ourselves. You know, oftentimes I teach uh, an advanced biology class at the school, and and I love biology. I love animals. We're dissecting sharks right now, and, and you know, I I think that's really cool. I enjoy it. And Dr. Vogel taught me and gave me a love for for science, and I enjoyed his classes. And I found that I enjoy it more than, you know, most of my students do. And I'll be talking about biology, and they're all paying it. They'll all be quiet and facing forward, and... And I'll go from 
from uh, talking over here, and oftentimes I'll talk over here because I have a PowerPoint over here on a screen. And then I remember one particular time I was standing here teaching, talking to my class, and everybody's quiet. I'm thinking, man, I'm doing an excellent job teaching this material. And then I walked over here, and I was going to talk about my PowerPoint. And it was like three or four students, not, not even just one, like three or four. They're still staring over there where I was standing. And I'm not standing over there anymore. And here I thought they were listening. They weren't listening. They were being quiet. They were being still, but they weren't listening. You know, when you teach the word of God to your kids, I can't stop and ask Harvey to repeat number one. And if I did, I'd probably be embarrassed because he doesn't remember what I said. He's not paying attention. That's right. But however, you know what? In your living room, you're talking about the word of God. You can ask your children, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? We can't do that this evening, but you can do that when you talk to your kids about the word of God. That is a way you can make sure that they're listening. Number three, what is another reason why somebody would hear the teaching of the word of God, especially a child, a young person, would grow up in a church like this and just not get it? Number three, a poor example. Remember, we're on Jesus's four groups, right? One of them is a fruitful hearer, but this first one is a forgetful hearer. Jesus says, this is a group that hears the word, and yet they don't get it. They don't understand. Maybe they're not listening, right? Maybe they have a poor example. How many of you would agree that there is power in a good example, right? There is power, there is conviction in a good example. Do you know what else I enjoy? I enjoy Jesus telling parables. I enjoy the stories in the Bible. They, it helps connect the dots. It helps me understand. I enjoy it when a preacher uses an illustration because it helps me to understand. But you know what? What happens when the example doesn't match what's being said? That is confusing, right? Confusing. That would cause a young person to say, you know, I, I, I don't get it. I don't know young people across America and I don't know young people necessarily in our area, but I know Christian young people. And I know First Baptist Church young people. I, I was one. I've been here my entire life. I've, I've been at our schools now, I think, 43 years, all but six years, the three years before I went to school and three years at the college. Every other year, I was either a student out there or, or a teacher out there. And it's been my life. And let me tell you, when it comes to Christian young people, when it comes to our children, but they, they do not like hypocrisy. They will shut that down. If you say one thing and then they see you do another, that is a problem. And let me be honest, to a fault, okay, it's not right. You know, even Christian young people, even me as a, as a teenager, I need to carry some forgiveness with me and understand, hey, nobody is perfect. You know, they're teaching the perfect word of God. Nobody is going to perfectly live that, okay? And we need to understand that. But in general, for my children, I need to be the pattern of good works. As Titus chapter 2 says, showing thyself a pattern of good works. I need to be that example. Okay, if, if, if a young person hears the word and then they see it lived out, you agreed with me just a moment ago. There is, a, there is power in a good example. And you know what? There is damage done by a poor example. 
I don't have, I, I, it is not right for me to take the influence that you, maybe, maybe I have over our children and hurt their relationship with God because of my poor example. I look around the room, so many of you taught me or I taught you or you've taught my children or I've taught your children. You know, we live together in this ministry. It is so important that our kids see good examples, you know? And as I look around the room, I didn't just have one. It wasn't just my mom. It wasn't just my dad. It wasn't just my pastor. It wasn't just my youth pastor. There are people that I could point to that taught me when I was in four-year-old beginner choir and junior high and high school. Good examples, the power of a good example. It helps our young people get it, understand it, where it can be very confusing if we say one thing, but the example teaches another, right? So how would a person listen to the word of God and not get it? Well, maybe they're not listening. Maybe it's a, a, a poor example. Let's look at the second group Jesus talks about, verse number 20. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon or immediately with joy receives it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. I call this group the foundationless hearer. Forgetful hearer, verse number, that, that, that first group. And by the way, I didn't quote the verse, but you know James chapter 1, verse 25 says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, talking about the Bible, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Okay, I need to listen to it taught, I need to remember it, and I need to apply it and do it, okay? And that'll help me get it. It'll help me remember it. This second group, this foundationless hearer. Let me ask you a question, and then I'm gonna give you what, what I believe Jesus is talking about here, but let me ask you, when the Bible says, when Jesus says, this second group, Here's the word, yet hath no root in himself. What, do you, what does that mean to you? As a Christian that hears the teaching of the word of God, what is my root system? What is my foundation supposed to be? Can you think of that? Would you agree that that would be my relationship with God? It is my personal walk, my personal relationship with God. That is my root system, right? Rooted and grounded in love. Love of who? The love of God, right? That is my godly foundation. You know that you don't get stronger by hanging around strong people, right? Just because you're around strong people, it doesn't make you any stronger, right? Just because you have a gym membership doesn't make you any stronger. Some of you, that hit home right there, okay? You can go into that gym and be around those strong people and even sit on the weight bench if you want to, but that doesn't make you any stronger, right? Agreed? Okay. You come to a place like this. There are a lot of strong Christians in this room. I know them personally, many of them. 
This is a very good place to be if you want to get spiritually stronger. With our pastor, the word of God, godly examples, good people, if you are interested in growing stronger as a Christian, this is a good place to be. But just because you're in this place, it does not make you a stronger Christian, does it? Just like you can go to the gym and be around those strong people and sit on the weight bench, it doesn't make you any stronger. Congratulations, we have put our children in a good place to grow strong. But they have to do the work in developing their relationship with God. They must have their own godly foundation. If there is any place on the planet that a Christian young person could grow stronger just by being there, I think it would be here. But there is no place on the planet where you can just show up and get spiritually strong, okay? The root is your relationship with God. A foundationless hearer. How can I help my kids? Number one, make the Christian life look good. Make the Christian life look good. You know, Dr. Vogel took John Milton Gregory's book called The Seven Laws of Teaching, and he had it reprinted. And it is a classic. If you're a Sunday school teacher, it was written for Sunday school teachers. That's why The Seven Laws of Teaching was written. But it is a classic book on instruction and on teaching. And one of those laws of teaching is the learner must attend with interest the lesson to be taught, right? Some of you, you're learning from the parable of the sower because you're interested in listening, and others of you are not, okay? Well, maybe it's because you're not interested. I think one of the reasons why our kids don't get it, one of the reasons why our, our young people don't build their relationship with God, because they're simply not interested. Why aren't they interested? Because what they see in me and what they see in us, you know, that this doesn't interest I should make the Christian life look good. Can you, can you turn with, to, with me to a passage? Let's look at Titus chapter 2. And I know I said that we were going to stay there, and we'll be right back to Matthew chapter 13. But look with me. Titus chapter 2, I want you to see the way the Bible phrases this. Look at verse number 10. Titus chapter 2, verse 10. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Fidelity is your faith. Showing your faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Okay, look back this direction. That verse tells me that by living out my faith, I should adorn the doctrine of God. You know what the doctrine of God is? It's, it's this. This is the doctrine of God, right? And that verse tells me that I can adorn it, I can decorate it, I can make it look good. And if I can decorate it and make it look good, I can also make it look bad. You know, my wife showed me a meme. It was, it was a couple months ago now, and I know it's going to bother you and me because I don't remember exactly what the meme was, what it said. It was, it was a picture, though, of the Mona Lisa, okay, the famous painting. And I believe the Mona Lisa, if I remember right, I looked it up, it was, it, Mona Lisa is appraised at $930 million. That's almost a billion dollars, okay? And this picture of the Mona Lisa in this meme, it had her hair all frazzled, and she looked all a mess. You could tell it was Mona Lisa, but she looked all a mess, and it said something like, 
this is me before I ask for help or something. My wife thought it was a funny meme. But the point wasn't what the meme said, okay? The point was you can take a beautiful painting that's pretty near priceless, right? And you can defame it. You can take even the Mona Lisa and make her look bad, okay? I can take the unsearchable riches of God, the doctrine of God, and I can make it look good or I can make it look bad. I don't make it good or bad. It's good, right? The word of God is good. It's powerful and it shows me the way to have an abundant life, but I can make it look bad. Okay, do I make the Christian life, do I make it look appealing to my children? Do I make a relationship with God? Do they see a vibrant relationship in me? Do they see that relationship and want to have a relationship with my heavenly father? Make the Christian life look good. Number two, don't make Christianity all about the outside. Hey, the outside is important, okay? And, 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 and there, you know, nowadays, certain religions are going away from that. It doesn't matter, you know, what you look like on the outside. Oh, no, you can look at the, your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It matters. It does matter to God. However, what is the great commandment? The great commandment really doesn't have a lot to do with the outside, does it? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, mind. That is the great commandment, right? That outlines how I can have a relationship with God, my love for my heavenly father. And if we're not careful at a place that uplifts separation like we should, and we teach our kids like I just did, hey, the outside is important. Okay, the Bible teaches the outside is important. But don't make it all about the outside. We can accidentally train our children that as long as you look good, as long as you act good, as long as you don't say this or don't say that, hey, you're, that's good. That's what a good Christian does. I'm not going to attempt to make the argument. But, but couldn't the argument be made that if the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, then wouldn't the greatest sin that a person could commit to be a violation of the great commandment? So for me to look nice and not love God and not obey the great commandment, boy, I'm, I'm missing something here, right? So remember that Jesus said, if you want to be productive and fruitful, you want to be a productive, fruitful Christian, then you know what? You have to have a good root system. What is your root system? It is your relationship with God your personal relationship with God. The forgetful hearer, somebody that just, they don't understand it, they don't get it. Why don't we get it? Maybe we're not listening, or maybe we have a bad example. I wanna work to be a good example for my kids. I wanna work to put them in a position so they can hear the teaching of the word of God. The second group, the foundationless hearer, they have no root in himself, right? Has no root in himself. He has no godly foundation for him. He has no personal relationship with God. Remember what pastor says. Pastor says you will not live somebody else's standard for a lifetime. That is true. You know, and that, that passage, if you, if you notice verse number 20 carefully, it says they receive it with joy and like they start to grow, but then eventually they don't endure. But you know what? That, through the years, I can think of Christian young people like this who were fine Christian young people who loved me, loved Brother Boyd, 
would work hard to make their youth pastor happy, and they wanted to keep their mom and dad happy, right? But they never learned that, you know what? These rules, they aren't just for your mom and dad. They're not. The rules aren't just for Hammond Baptist schools. The rules aren't just because you go to First Baptist Church. The rules are because you have a relationship with God. And you know what? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And my commandments, they won't be grievous to you, right? First John tells us that. So it is, it is about the love of God. That is our root system. I think back to what I said earlier about that servant and his outlook on God. I knew that you were a hard man, and I was afraid. You know, I would hope that my children, your children, our kids, I would hope that our outlook on God is God loves me. God died for me. Every good thing I enjoy in my life is from God. And most of the time, the bad things that come into my life, they're my fault, (laughs) my stupidity. It's when I don't follow the word of God. All the good things I have is from the Lord. You know what I want? I would want my kids to know that. I remember when my son John was, he was probably about seven or eight, and Ruby and Gwen, two of my daughters, were probably like four and five. My son Joe was just a couple years old, and we, we, one night we played charades where it was boys against girls. So it was me and John and Joe, the two-year-old, against my wife and Ruby and Gwen. And I had a, uh, some papers that I wrote and, you know, folded it together. And so it was a, a cat or a, a mouse or a truck, you know, really simple things that was charades. And the boy would act it out, and we would try to, to, to guess. And we ran out of papers, and the score was tied. Okay, so I called my son, John, who again was probably about seven. And I said, okay, I whispered in his ear so only he could hear because I was out of cards, you know, with cat and all that. And I whispered in his ear, me, me. Okay, so he was going to act out me. That's what, I, that's what I said in his ear. So he walks over and stands in front of the couch where all of us were all sandwiched on this couch, you know. And he goes, and he starts moving around, stomping his feet. And I'm telling you, when, when he did that, my, my heart just sank. And I was glad that nobody said, Dad, you know, in charades. And so he's marching around like this. And, uh, and I think my wife may have even said, what, what, did, you, what did you tell him? And so finally I said, John, come here. So he comes over, I said, what, what are you doing? And he goes, I thought you said mean. I said, no, I didn't say mean, I said me. So he was acting out mean, and I tell you, it was like a burden was lifted off my shoulders. I thought, man, is that how my kids perceive me? Hey, sometimes that is how we perceive our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we think that he's up in heaven with a stick. And he's ready to smack us if we don't obey all the rules. He is pulling for us. He is our advocate. He is a fan of ours. And you know what? Sometimes when our kids, they learn all the rules of God before they develop a relationship with God, and we get the wrong idea. The Bible is about a relationship. There are rules in it, and it is a rule book. And if you follow the rules, you will live a productive, abundant Christian life, okay? The rules aren't to keep you from anything but garbage. 
okay? It'll help you, and it'll help me. But sometimes we get the wrong idea of our Heavenly Father, and I don't want my kids to have the wrong idea. So the forgetful hearer, the foundationless hearer, remember, he's a rewarder. Lastly, the last group, if you're there in verse 22, and we'll finish with this, he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. I call this one the fortune hunting hearer, the fortune hunting hearer. But God has a way of describing things. The care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. You know, I think to the, back to the proverb that says, labor not to be rich. I don't know how many times I've used the front half of that proverb, labor not to be rich. And it wasn't to just a few months ago, I recognized that the second half of that proverb says, cease from thine own wisdom. And those two go together. Because if you don't cease from your own wisdom, you just might labor to be rich, okay? And the deceitfulness of riches can cause me to be unfruitful. Can't help but think of Dr. and Mrs. Cowling down here who walked away from that position at the University of Tennessee, moved his family from a state that he loved to Northwest Indiana. You ask him if he regrets it. You ask him. You know what he would say, because you know Dr. Cowling, he doesn't regret that for a second. He gained durable riches, okay? He gained riches in heaven, and you know what? He's happier today because of that decision he made, and certainly he's going to be happier a million years from now, right? The deceitfulness of riches. Number one, don't make life about things, right? Don't let your kids think that life is about things. Remember what Jesus said, beware of covetousness, right? A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things he possesseth. It doesn't. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things he possesses. Secondly, just a piece of advice. Don't complain about your situation. Don't complain about the house God has given you, about the car you drive, you know, some of that is going to come out, and, you know, the kids are going to see that. I don't say that you lie and tell them that this is, you know, the best car in the world if, while you're broken down for the third time this week. I mean, you could talk to them about, about needs and, and pray about things. That's, that, that, that's life. But in general, don't complain about the state in which God has put you, in which God has placed you. Couldn't, couldn't you see how we could accidentally even though we all believe that life is not about the abundance of things, right? We all agree with that statement. And we could all talk about rich people who've committed suicide because they're completely miserable because money doesn't make you happy, right? That is the deceitfulness of riches, that somehow money is going to make you happy. That is not, that is not the case, okay? So let's not accidentally train our kids that life is about things because we complain about the things that we don't have, Okay? Number three, I'd recommend prove to your kids that they're more important than money. Show them that God's will is more important than money. And you know what? I'd go one step farther. Brag about the good things God has done for you. Brag about how God takes care of you. You know, we wouldn't want that plant to grow and then for the, the, the thorns of the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches to choke it. 
hey, this one, this one affects me and you. This one really can affect adults. Because we've lived our lives and we've grown to a plant and now we can allow the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches to, to choke the productivity of the Christian life, okay? Be a fruitful hearer. Let's, let's read, I'll make a couple of closing, clo- closing comments, but let's read what the Bible says in verse number 23. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. Very simply, four groups Jesus talks about here. The first group, they just don't get it. Why don't they get it? Maybe they're not listening. Maybe they have a bad example. Let's be that good example. Second group, that foundationless hearer, they have no root in themselves. It is every Christian has to have their own relationship with God. I can't live on my pastor's relationship with God, on my wife's relationship with God, on my parents' relationship with God. I must have my own roots. Can I remind you, you don't see roots, okay? Don't make life all about the outside with your kids. Talk to them frankly about, hey, what's, what's going on in your heart? What's going on in, in your head? You know, my, my son's back there, my son Joe, my, all my sons. I don't know why I do it to my sons and not my daughters, but I've tapped them as little boys on the head and say, you know what, you're the best little boy I know. But I don't know what's going on in that head of yours. Is Jesus happy with what's going on in that head of yours? But that's just a good thing to remember. Remind our kids it's not all about the outside. They have to have their own foundation with God. And then that fortune-hunting hearer, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things he possesseth. Do not allow, don't allow the care of this world or the deceitfulness of riches to choke the word from your life. And don't allow it to creep into your family. Saturday night, we got to play in a championship game at Hammond Baptist. I was looking at coach uh, the team at, at Hammond Baptist High School, and I was talking to those young men. And as we prepared for that game, I told them, when it's all said and done, Saturday night, you're going to lay your head on your pillow. You know what? Why don't you play like you will wish you have played when you put your head on your pillow? Why don't you decide that, you know what? For the 32 minutes of our basketball game, I am going to do what I will wish I would have done tonight when I lay my head on my pillow. Why don't you do that? But you know what? Those of us that have children, you know what? It doesn't last forever, does it? I remember when my son John, who is now married with a three-year-old of his own, I remember when he was three years of age. Many of you would know Karen Gross. I remember Mrs. Gross worked with me at the junior high. Mrs. Gross, I don't know how many times Karen Gross told me, hey, James. You enjoy those little kids because they don't stay little for long. You know what? My little kids now have kids of their own. That is exactly right. Hey, how about as parents? How about we do what we will wish we would have done when our kids are all grown and we don't have the influence on them? Why don't we be the parents that we will wish we would have been when we had our kids at home and had time to influence them? Let's be the examples. Let's work to be the moms, the dads, the examples to other children, to our children that we are supposed 